As you probably know, that I haven't turned my mic on. There we go. See, Caroline protects me upstairs by turning on the different mics for me, but I got the right one on now. Okay, we'll start again. As you probably know, we've been spending the last few weeks looking at women in the New Testament, and we'll continue this series for the rest of the year. Now, our pastor, Greg Rogers, mapped out this series last summer in July, and it was just the luck of the draw that I got the woman today, Pilate's wife. So as I started looking at her story, I realized she has referenced one verse in the Bible, and she doesn't even show up in that verse. She just sends a message. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do with this? Well, one of the observations I made was, and I've never been married, but Pilate does not listen to the message his wife sent. And from my observations, guys are usually better off when they listen to their wives. And we see that Pilate really didn't work out that well. Just saying. <laughs> so, let's look at the passage in Matthew 27. Now, since she's only in one verse, we'll have to sort of move back a little bit to see how she fits into everything. So we're going to start with verse 11 out of Matthew 27. And this is Jesus before Pilate. So starting with verse 11 of chapter 27. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, it was the governor's custom at the feast to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, Which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew it was out of envy that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent a message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of these two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Pilate asked. They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, and then instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. And the people answered, Let his blood be on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them, and he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Now we often think of this passage as part of the Easter story. Um, and so we may know it pretty well. And in fact, this story shows up in all the different Gospels in the Bible, but it's only in Matthew that we see Pilate's wife. Now, we don't know exactly how he re reacted to the message from his wife. Now, it could have just been a simple message that only he heard, or it could have been some type of decree that was read before everyone. Obviously, he didn't listen to her advice since he kept being involved with Jesus and did not set him free. Now, look at her message that you see there. Notice that she calls Jesus an innocent man. Some translations use the word just or righteous. It's likely that she had never heard of Jesus. 
She was probably not part of the political practices of her husband. But you'll notice that she had suffered greatly because of her dream. The dream was disturbing enough that she had to do something about it. She made the choice to try to make a difference. Pilate made a series of choices that ultimately proved to be disastrous. Have you ever played the what-if game in your head? As I approach my 15th anniversary of being on staff here at Oakmont and my 29th year of being a member of Oakmont, um, I've had some times to think to myself, what if? What if I had taken that job during college and moved to Ithaca, New York to be a bivocational campus minister? What if, during grad school, I had taken that job and moved to Apex to be a technical writer? What if the Campbell Divinity School had not been created? What if I had been staying at ECU instead of becoming a minister here? What if, in my everyday life, I hadn't taken the time to make a visit, share a smile, offer some assistance, read my Bible, listen to God? What if, what if, what if? Now, last week, our pastor talked about all the different things that eclipse us from being able to do what God wants us to do. And so today, we're going to continue with that train of thought, but looking at what opportunities there are to, for us to live Christ's commandment to be his hand and his feet in everyday life. I want to show you this comic that I came across on the internet. It's a simple choice that someone makes to make a change in somebody's life. It starts off with three characters. The characters stay throughout. Gentleman in the hat doesn't look too happy. Father and son, perhaps, uncle and nephew, who knows. They're staying there, and the older gentleman says, watch. Hey, your hat is awesome, and you're awesome for wearing it. Oh, um, thank you. Now look at his face. We all have powers. Cool. All it takes is a simple word of encouragement that can change somebody's life. A choice to be a different person. Sometimes we're in the right place at the right time because we have a million little choices that we make every day. Million little choices. The future is a million little choices. Practice or play video games. Two hours in the gym or two hours at the movies. A little extra work or a little extra play. Reconcile or let the sun go down in your anger. Get up or push the snooze button again. Take a potential client to the game or take a kid from a broken home. Spend that bonus on yourself, or give it to a ministry that reaches out to pregnant teens. If we could get a picture of the future, if we could jump ahead 10, 15, 20 years, and see the accumulation of our decisions, the chain of events we set in motion, 
How differently would we live today? How would we choose to spend our time? What would we walk away from? How would we treat the people around us? What would we choose to pursue with passion? Where would we choose to invest our skills and our resources? Your future is a million little choices. And it starts today. in the right places at the right time because of choices we've made. My faith story is a little more different. It's, it's finding ourselves in the right place without the choices that we made, but looking back on it, it turned out to be a good thing. The first four years of, of our marriage, um, I worked part-time and went to school full-time, and Jessica worked full-time and went to school part-time. And so we were both in school and both working in some capacity. And we found ourselves in the spring of um, 2009, um, working, uh, pregnant, Jacob on the way, not knowing he would come a little earlier than we planned on him coming. And one Monday night, Jessica got home from grad school classes. She said, I don't know how I'm going to make it another few months. I am just utterly exhausted working and going to school. Tuesday morning, I'm getting ready uh, for class to drive to Campbell. And she calls me at 9 o'clock. She says, I'm on my way home from work. I said, excuse me? She said, uh, I just got laid off. And so our world kind of crashed down and we're uh, expecting a baby in a few months and she was our primary income and, and at the moment we had no idea what to do or what was going to happen. Looking back on it, it turns out that God had us in the right place uh, at the right time. A part of Jessica's graduate school, she needed to do an internship and we'd been wondering how we were going to fit that in and make that happen with a full-time job. It just wasn't going to be practical and we were going to have to make some tough choices at some point. As it turns out, we didn't have to make a choice about letting go of a job because the job let go of us. And she had that time in August uh, to be able to do that. We had a piece about it uh, really within the first few hours of that God was in control and God was going to walk us through it. And as it turns out, it freed her up to have time to be here with me that summer after Jacob was born. And so we weren't fighting between who was in Raleigh and I was here and who doing what. So it worked out to give her some rest and relaxation those last few months of, of the pregnancy. It worked out to where she could do an internship uh, in the fall uh, uh, with the city of Raleigh and complete that requirement for her degree, which turned into a really great story about me and Jacob and uh, eight police, off, police cars and 16 officers surrounding me with questioning me. That's another story that you can ask me about later, but would not have been, uh, we've not had that story without this, this whole pink slip and being let go. It turns out the company she worked for within a year, the whole company folded. She just happened to be that first line of cuts. And looking back on it, uh, we were glad that she was the first part of that first cut because it gave us the time that we needed, not only to be together, but the time that she needed to rest and to prepare for Jacob coming. I was hoping she would do a good bit of nesting in that waiting time. That didn't happen, but she took a lot of the rest that she needed. Uh, and it turns out uh, our insurance and the money and her severance ended three days before Jacob was born. So sometimes you have to stand out on faith and realize that even though the choices you didn't make, you find yourself in a, 
unforeseen circumstance, that God can work in the midst of that. And that's exactly what God did. God provided for every one of our needs. God gave us a peace about where we were, what we were doing, and why we were where we, when we were there. And so even in the midst of life, when you find yourself in a circumstance that you're not sure why you're there, uh, may not be that day, it may not be that week, may not be that month, but at some point shortly down the line, you'll look back and realize that God had you at the right place at the right time for the right reasons. You just have to have a little faith that that's, that's what's happening. I'd like to invite our children to come now and join me here at the front for our children's worship time. Good morning. Got lots of boys and girls this morning. It's good to see you. I'm going to wait and let everybody get a chance to get down here. They're coming slowly but surely. Y'all had a nice weekend? Had a good week of school? Yeah? Okay. Come on, guys. Y'all come on in. There we go. Just sit, sit right here. There you go. That's good. All right. Here's more. <laughs> yeah, you're glad to see all of you this morning. I want to tell you a story this morning about somebody who was in the right place at the right time. We've already seen um, the video and heard a story about how God has you in the right place at the right time. And I want to tell you about a story that happened in my family. Now, it was a long time ago, and I'm going to try to, somebody told me the story. So I'm going to tell you the story as best I can. My, one day, my husband and my little boy and I had gone to Smithfield to another town to see the grandparents. And in that afternoon, after visiting, my husband Tommy and my son Bo went out to the park and they wanted to hit the baseball. How many of you like to play baseball? Throw the ball around, anybody? Okay, well, do you know what a batting cage is? A batting cage is a big square cage that's made out of net, kind of like a fisherman's net. And the, the tee is in there, and you can hit the ball. Somebody pitches it, and then you hit it. And my husband would throw the ball, and my little boy would hit it. And they, they had a big old bucket full of baseballs, and they had a good time doing that. Well, after they hit all the baseballs, then they have to go pick them all up, like picking up your toys. So they went back to the picking them up, and my son was reaching down to pick up one of the balls, and all of a sudden he jumped back and hollered. And my husband said, what is the matter? And he said, something's over there. So he went, my husband came and they went and they crept up to the corner of that batting cage and looked and there was a little tiny baby rabbit that was caught in the net. And he had come hopping through the woods because it was really close to the woods and had got caught in the net. And then when he got caught in the net, he started struggling and was trying to get out. And the whole time he's struggling and trying to get out, you know what happens? He gets tied up more. That net kept wrapping around. It wrapped around his feet, and it wrapped around his neck, and around his little paws, and he was stuck. And he could not get out. Now, what was going to happen to that little rabbit if he didn't get loose? He was going to die right there, wasn't he? And then everybody was going to be sad. And so my little boy said, we got to help him. We have to help get him out. 
And so my husband and my little boy went up and they started messing with that net and they tried to pull it off his neck and pull it away from his arm, but it just kept getting tighter and tighter and they could not get him loose. Even though they were in the right place at the right time, they could not get him loose. And my husband finally said, we need a knife so we can cut this net. They didn't have a knife. But about that time, a man and a woman came walking down the path. They'd been walking in the woods. And my husband hollered over and said, do you have a knife? And he said, no. But he came over to see what was going on. And so when he started looking to see what was going on, they knew they really had to have a knife. And the lady said, there is a taco truck over there at the soccer tournament. Maybe they have a knife. So she went over to the taco truck and asked them, do you have a knife we can use? And they said, yes. So they gave her the knife and she brought it back and gave it to my husband and he started cutting the cords and they were holding him and trying to get him loose and finally they got the baby rabbit loose and he kind of shook all over and sat there a minute and when he realized he was all loose off he went and he hopped away now that's the story of a lot of people being in the right place at the right time the little rabbit was in the wrong place at the wrong time but my husband and the little boy were in the right place at the right time. The people walking in the, in the, down the trail were in the right place at the right time. And then the taco truck was in the right place at the right time, wasn't it? So there are lots of times that God puts us in the right place at the right time. But there's one more piece to this story. You know what made this story have a happy ending? Everybody did their part, right? Everybody did their part. You can be in the right place at the right time, but if you don't listen like Pilate didn't listen to his wife, or if you don't do what God has put you there to do, then things still might not work out. So I want you to think this week where you're going if God has put you in the right place at the right time and what you can do to help somebody, okay? All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you put us in the right place at the right time, that you provide for our needs and for the needs of others. And we pray that you would use us this week to help somebody else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. share with you about the Backyard Buddy Ministry that we have here at Oakmont on Mondays and Tuesdays. I have helped tutor some over the past seven years since Backyard Buddies began, but it really didn't work consistently until this past year, and that has given me a greater understanding of the importance of this ministry and the impact that it has on the children who come. I want you to imagine with me for a minute that English is not your first language and that you have to go to school every day and are expected to read read, write, and understand textbook English. Even though your conversational English is good, I mean, you don't have any trouble talking in it, it would be difficult and frustrating for you to have to read and write answers and write sentences. And this is the situation for many of the neighborhood children who live here around the church. God has literally brought the world to our back door. There are children from at least five different countries who come to Backyard Buddies. 
Many are from single parent homes and there may not be anyone at home who can um, read or spell or speak in English or they can't help them pronounce words or understand vocabulary and you know do math. But I have come to learn that parents from all countries love their children and they want the best for their children and they want their children to succeed. And through Backyard Buddies, we're able to build relationships with these families and help move the children forward academically and help them feel comfortable here in North Carolina. As I look around today, I see that most of you are probably fairly fluent in English and probably have a basic understanding of elementary math. So you are all qualified to be a tutor for about an hour, hour and 15 minutes, one day a week to help these children. You don't even have to pack a suitcase, get vaccinations, take off time from work, or any of that to serve right here and be the hands and feet of Jesus. In Mark 10, 13 through 16, Jesus was bringing little children into his arms to love and bless them. And you can imagine how special this made each child feel to know that they were loved and important enough for Jesus to take time with them. Children need to feel God's divine touch through us. And this Backyard Bible Ministry helps us do that with the children we work with. It provides a safe place for children after school, and we pour into them love, encouragement, sharing about Jesus, and homework help. Sandy Jones has been one of the tutors in Backyard Buddies many years, and she says that working one-on-one -on -one with a child is the best format and provides a setting where a child can make the most progress academically. The consistency of that tutor's presence and relationship he or she builds with that child is invaluable. And this past year, we were fortunate to have a tutor for just every child on Monday and Tuesday. And this helped things run very smoothly and there were very few discipline issues. Our day starts with Jeremy Medlock, our Oakmont Center coordinator, um, meeting the children at the back of the 500 hall. After they come home from school, they play games, they unwind, they de-stress for about 20 minutes or so. And then they come inside for snacks and a Bible devotion. On Mondays, we have a literacy focus where an adult will read a book to the children and ask questions about that. Um, and then they meet with their tutor one-on-one. Um, -on -one. And Carol Brown runs our computer lab. And on Monday, each child gets to go to the lab um, by grade, so they go at least once a month, sometimes twice, to work with RAS kids and IXL math and language arts, which is our programs that they do at school. Our middle and high school students come to Backyard Buddies on Tuesdays only, and they meet in the multi-purpose room, and then they have access to the computer lab on Tuesdays. And many of these um, older teenagers have been in Backyard Buddies since they were in elementary or middle school. And we can see positive changes that have been made in their lives as a result of the, um, the ministry that we have here. Their academics have improved, their attitudes, the life choices are different or better. Um, two of the students graduated from high school this past spring. Um, and many of the, these teenagers now participate in our youth group and they're involved in Extreme Impact and go on the mission camp and Disciple Now and some have even gone on mission trips. <clears throat> so the impact of the tutors and the mentoring adults in these teenagers' lives has been tremendous. This summer I was in the grocery store and ran into a tutor and um, his mentor and he ran up to me and gave me a big hug and we talked a while and called up. And that was just a priceless gift. I mean, and I probably would not have known this um, teenager had it not been for Backyard Buddies. Whether or not you feel called to serve in Backyard Buddies, I would encourage you to pray for this ministry and for these children and for these families this year. If you feel a tug on your heart and you think this might be something you would be interested in helping with on a Monday or a Tuesday, we can use your help. 
Pat Hamby said it well when she wrote, um, these children and their families have opened up my world and enriched my soul in ways I could never have imagined. I'm grateful for the team of people who have felt the calling to step into the lives of these folks and make a regular commitment on Tuesday and in other ways and times. Our Backyard Buddies program will start on Monday, September 11th for the elementary students and on Tuesday the 12th for the teenagers. We're having a tutoring training meeting this Tuesday um, at 4 o'clock in room 502. If you're not sure and want to come to that meeting and find out more, we'd welcome you to come. So whether or not you can uh, do Backyard Buddies this year, you can make a child feel extraordinary and, and spend time with the child and encourage them and love them in your neighborhood, in your family, um, somewhere where you are. You can be the right person at the right place in their lives. I want to thank you in advance for giving and praying and serving so that Oakmont can continue to be the hub of ministry in our community as we share Jesus and love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Let me invite you to join with us in singing Blessed Assurance. I think most choral directors will say that people sing better when they're standing. May I ask you to stand? Let's sing together.
know, there are times when we are in the exact right place at the exact right time for God to use us for something that he wants to accomplish in his kingdom. And then there are other times when God leads us to a place, to a time where he can teach us or mold us or bless us more from the experience, far more than anything we, able, we ever do in that experience. On the first day our mission team was in the Dominican Republic, we boarded a bus and drove for miles to a small bate. A bate is a small village of people who live and work right in the middle of the sugarcane fields. The village was very poor, wooden shack houses, some cement houses, tons of people, and everyone showed up to see who was coming in that morning on the big yellow bus. Inside the church, the women sat on one side and the men sat on the other side. The teenagers sat in one area and the small school-aged children sat together in the back. I questioned the small school-aged children sitting together in the back, but it only took a couple of quick Spanish reprimands for them to be in line and listening. We were going through, or the, the church there was going through the book of Exodus, and we came in on Exodus 15. They started at the point that morning where, the, where God told the Israelites that uh, had just been led out of Egypt and had just crossed the Red Sea and they were looking for water to drink. And I'll pick up and read a few verses that we heard that morning. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink its water because it was bitter. That's why the place is called Mara. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became sweet. There the Lord made a decree and a law for them, and there he tested them. He said, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God, pay attention and do what is right in his eyes. If you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I'm the Lord who heals you. Now for many of the Bates, access to water itself is not a problem, but access to water that is clean and drinkable is. One of our projects for the week was to install clean water filters in many of the villages that needed them where we went to do medical clinics and kids camps. To, in a sense, we were there to make bitter water sweet. The pastor challenged all present to trust, just like Moses urged the Israelites, that God would provide the water needed for life. If God gives you life, God will give the water you need, whatever that water needs to be for the present circumstance. God had led the Israelites out of Egypt and through the Red Sea, and water to drink was not a problem for God to provide. And he did. They just needed to live a life of trust. The pastor preached this entire sermon first in Spanish, and then again the entire sermon in English. What we didn't know until the very end of that morning was that the pastor had no idea that we were coming. Now, that's not entirely uncommon. Many mission, mission teams go to a church on Sunday morning, but for this pastor and this bate, it was very uncommon that a group showing up meant an entirely different language. 
One of the translators, Miguel, was sort of a mentor for this particular pastor. And he knew that this pastor was fluent in English. So Miguel walked into church, handed the pastor a Spanish Bible, and sat down 29 Americanos for Sunday, sorry, Sunday service. For anybody simply observing this from the outside, this might have looked like a regular Sunday morning, with the exception of a bunch of Americans in the middle of a small bate in the Dominican. But for our group in that small bate church that morning, for those who were paying attention, this was a time where God used the circumstance and the surroundings to simply bless his people. Our group was blessed with a message from God's word in our own language that spoke immediately to our goal for the week. That pastor was blessed with exactly what he needed, an English Bible, to make a bilingual sermon on the fly a reality. And the people of that small village were a blessing themselves and were a blessing to the community as they sang and prayed and as we worshiped together. So if we pay attention, we see the God who gives us life, giving us exactly the water that we need to make our life flourish. So what water do you need today, and are you willing to pay attention closely enough to see it? You've heard today many stories of being in the right place at the right time. Imagine if Pilate had only listened to his wife, if he had listened to God and done something different. But there are many places where we are that we don't realize that we're making a difference. I could tell you numerous stories about the different places I've been where God's put me in the right place at the right time, or that I've seen somebody else in the right place at the right time. I think of the lady who told me just this week about the time that she was feeling bad and three young ladies showed up on her doorstep just to check on her. Or this other lady who was a friend to a neighbor who was worried about a life choice and she was there to be that non-judgmental person in her life. Or that person that came into a restaurant where I was one day and I just found out that she had cancer and just needed somebody to talk to while she waited for her food. I did nothing there except sit. There are lots of different ways that we can be the hands and feet to Christ. um, Particular things where we can volunteer for groups and organizations, or we can just be God. We can just be Christ and show people that love. One more comic strip for you that I'd like to show you up here. Um, It's from a group called Coffee with Jesus. Now, it's satirical, and sometimes it might bend people the wrong way, but this one I thought was pretty um, interesting. So we see this woman here, she says... I need to find a ministry opportunity, Jesus. Jesus, with his coffee, looking very hipster at this point. Everyone you meet, Lisa, everywhere you look, dozens of times every day there are opportunities to minister. I wouldn't feel right walking around telling random strangers, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Yeah, that'd be weird, Lisa. Show them instead. Are there ways that you can show them instead? You may never know what a difference you're making in your life, what message God has for you to share to others. Here's an example of how that can all work out. This is Nate. Nate became a Christ follower two weeks ago and is still a bit giddy about it. 
No, he's trying not to do cartwheels in public. Nate became a believer partly because of... Kim. Yet, oddly enough, Kim and Nate have never met. How is this possible? Well, let's take a look. Kim loved Jesus from an early age, and in college she had a huge impact on her friends. While most of her peers used their college years to, well, experiment, Kim didn't. She remained committed to her faith, and it showed. It especially showed to Lisa, her roommate, who confessed to Kim that she wanted whatever it was that made Kim so strong. Kim shared her faith with Lisa, and Lisa believed. Years later, at Lisa's first real job, she met Thomas. Thomas was hit by a drunk driver when he was 13, and still carried a lot of anger and bitterness. Thomas and Lisa became friends, and it wasn't long before he started going to church with Lisa and her husband. After a lot of studying and searching, Thomas gave his life to Christ. Fast forward a few years. Thomas became a public speaker and was often asked to speak at large events. See, when he became a believer, Thomas developed a new perspective on life. He stopped resenting what had been taken from him and started being thankful for the second chance he had been given. On one particular day, Thomas shared about overcoming hardship and what it means to choose joy. He was so passionate that a number of people were inspired to share a link to his video. The video of Thomas inspired James, too. And if anyone needed inspiration, it was him. James had a ton of issues. He spent most of his life as a passive husband, an absent father, and a horrible friend. That said, no one disliked him more than he disliked himself. But everything changed the night he happened to watch Thomas online. Something clicked and he knew what he had to do. He surrendered his miserable life to someone greater, and he was forever changed. James fought hard to make up for the lost years with his family. And he also began working with young men who were in danger of throwing their lives away. One of those men was Nate. Nate didn't really know his own dad, and he had no real direction in life, ultimately bouncing from one bad decision to another. Because of that, he often found himself in trouble with the law. No one had ever showed him what it looked like to be a real man. That is, until he met James. James became the first father figure Nate ever had. He learned about honesty, self-control, humility, and integrity, and where those traits come from. Two months later, Nate publicly declared his belief in Christ. And of course, James was there. Now you can see the connection. Nate was impacted by James, who was influenced by Thomas. Thomas saw an uncommon joy in Lisa, who learned of Jesus from Kim. Kim's relationship with God eventually led to Nate's. Funny how these two people have never met and never will. Matthew 5, 13 through 16, tells us to be the salt of the world, to be the light of the world. There are so many ways that maybe you can be um, the person that Nate needs to know. 